0: welcome to this special series of the Truth About Low Government podcast. We're going to be doing a collaborative series with the District Councils Network, where I interview senior leaders from district councils across England to hear about how their councils can and do make a real difference to their residents and communities. We're going to be exploring the challenges facing the sector, but more importantly, the solutions that are being implemented. I hope you enjoy. I want to just pick up a few bits that you've said there, Rose, because I think there's a lot of organisations uh, across the UK who maybe have the uh, the starting ingredients of tenacity. They have a, a vision of sorts. Uh, maybe they even have a JV. But h- how did you get the governance right? How did you make sure that that vision was one that could be delivered? The finances made sense, so that you weren't left with what could have been a, a fairly, uh, you know, a challenging finance situation if it hadn't worked out. How did you blend? Kind of the as you discussed there, that, that sheer will and positive energy and momentum alongside a very good set of governance to ensure that it was a project that you could fully support
1: i think for us it helped the fact we did get um homes and communities funding um, to the tune of one and a half million to buy it. So that certainly helps for an authority like us. We don't have a huge budget. If we borrow, it then hits the revenue bottom line as well. So so that that made a massive difference. And then the model that we have with with that joint venture company is the council puts in 30%, the joint venture company puts in 70%. And the model works that way um, and, and flows that way so that the council's not having to put in so much funding often the council puts in land because we don't have a lot of cash but we often have bits of land and buildings and so forth um and that model has worked really well we don't or we haven't historically got an income strip back off some of these investments because to be fair getting any kind of development done in in that that valley corridor is is nigh on impossible the viability sums don't add up so when we look at the treasury green book Hardly any of our projects meet the criteria in in return on investment, so it's very hard to get anything off the ground. So we have to, the council almost has to step back and do it for the greater good, and not say, well, actually, we want an income stream to prop up our our budget because the projects are too fragile for that. And what we're after really is those human outcomes that we're seeing there. We have that regeneration in area, you have the homes, you have the apartments, you have the workspace, more jobs moving into the area. People being able to go and, and, and spend time in the leisure facility. We were there the other day. It was snowing outside and there were loads and loads of children playing indoor football. Where would they have been if that building hadn't been there? You know, so so it's a lot of those outcomes that that we 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 look for in that investment rather than getting money back. And I think that's that's what makes it add up as well.
0: and in terms of your're sat there, I mean, one of your peers or one of the executive directors in charge of regeneration, a bit a council with a a similar kind of uh, uh, complexity and difficulty around the feasibility of these schemes initially at the outset. You know what advice would you give to them in terms of, either in terms of selection of joint venture partner, in terms of whether they approach you, do you approach them, and also in terms of what advice have you learned from this project that you say, right, this is something that I really champion as as kind of best practice?
1: I think a lot of it's about being clear what, what it is you want to achieve. And and we've actually got a new joint venture partner uh, recently because the work we're doing in Nelson Town Centre um, needed to have a joint venture partner. So we we went back out to the market and we actually um procured that partner. So we went through a procurement to get to get that partner. Um, and this particular partner in the new joint venture is called Brookhouse and the company's called Penbrook. Um, so it's sort of the, the amalgamation of the two the two names. So that was that was very much using procurement with a set of outcomes that we needed to achieve and an an investment model. That one's on a 9010 investment model. Um, so it's it's really about being clear what you want to achieve with that one what we want to achieve is retail transformation in the centre. So we were after a retail expert in that particular one. The original joint venture was slightly different. That was about wider regeneration um, and, and, and bringing forward some of our old buildings and, and getting them renovated and, and breathing new life into areas. So that's that would be my advice about being clear what it is you're trying to
0: achieve. That's amazing. So obviously, this is not the only example of positive regeneration that's taking place um, in your area, Rose. There's a lot of proactive work that's going on. Let's talk now about the, the Nelson Town Deal. Um, if we could start by just giving the listeners a bit of context as to what is the Nelson Town Deal?
1: it's a 25 million uh, government funded program it will add up to more than that actually with with the investment that we'll have from from the private sector as well um and it's designed to breathe life back into an area that's that, that does need a lot of attention nelson town center um is 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 quite quite sad it was once it was once quite a booming place we had an Arndale centre sort of place people used to go to in the 70s and, and 80s on a saturday afternoon and buy records <laughs> do you remember them um do that kind of stuff that we all did on a saturday afternoon in the 70s and 80s um and and now it's 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 quite a sad version of itself really um so so the the Town Deal programme is looking at, at at actually purchasing that shopping centre demolishing it and building a new one. It also has um, an investment plan to upgrade our leisure centre that's adjacent to the main shopping area of the town to get more young people involved in leisure. There are various other related projects. There's one on digital skills and Nelson and Cone College who are an outstanding college. We're very lucky to have a college of that caliber. They're going to come into town with with a particular offer around digital skills that will be a satellite to their main campus which is just on on the edge of the town. We've also got a thing called the Yes Hub, which is a young people's skills hub, which does amazing work around mentoring, building young people's confidence, um, as as well as practical skills as, as they progress on through their programmes. We also have um, Healthy Towns project. I've already mentioned the bit about um, investing in our leisure centre. There's another bit that's about investing in our parks so that people use the park more and get physically active in the park. And then there's another aspect where we're looking at improving the public realm around the town, the junctions, making them more attractive, making it more... I suppose, legible as a place to walk around and um, the minute you walk around, there's some flower beds in the way and you, you sort of desire lines. So it's making it safer and, and and nicer to move about. And then the one that sort of, I suppose, cuts across it all, we, we call um, This Is Nelson and it's about culture and heritage. And in situ or community arts organisation, or helping run that one with us, and that's very much about celebrating what is good about Nelson and and all it has to offer, and how that one can cut across the other uh, projects within in the program to to raise to raise the whole lot really and elevate the whole whole lot together um, in in that systemic way.
0: Is there a frustration uh, as a leader? When you have access to this funding where there is a significant amount of capital for buildings and development taking place but sometimes maybe the people are forgotten slightly in terms of this regeneration that takes place takes a while to take place the education the upskilling the sense of community is is it hard to kind of stomach that that you almost have to kind of say that will be better in 20 years time but the funding is a longer-term investment is that quite difficult when you have immediate needs in your community that maybe still can't be addressed because the funding simply isn't there to to help tackle those immediate problems.
1: Yeah, it, it is frustrating. And we, we really need both, actually. Um, it, it's great to get the capital funding for Nelson Town Deal. And I've outlined a number of, of projects there. Um, the money, by and large, is going into the buildings rather than the people projects, although they've got equal billing across the programme in terms of the names of the projects. The expensive ones are the buildings. Um, I think that does need to be turned on its head. Um, I'm not saying we reduce the money that we've got to, for the building side of things, but we need to invest in people a lot more. And it's it feels unbalanced where you get money for a building, but actually the local authority's revenue is so squeezed that it's difficult to make ends meet to keep cleaning the streets outside that building. and. I always say, what's the point in having a shiny new building if you've got rats running around and litter everywhere and a very deprived population who can't engage or interact with that building? So the whole lot has to be done together. And that's why I've been really pleased that we've got the long term planning for towns funding, because it's starting to look at some of those social issues as well in terms of people's people's lives, uh, antisocial behaviour, um, all those different aspects that are about people as opposed to um just just the sort of the physical environment side of things. So that's a step in the right direction. Although it's it's 20 20 million over 10 years and I keep joking we've spent a hundred of it already. Um, there are so many things where we, we do need to invest in the community. Um, this is I think I think it's fair to say a lot of parts of Pendle and Nelson, Briarfield, those sorts of areas. This is the, this is the true levelling up challenge, areas like ours, where 25 million isn't really going to touch the sides. Uh, we used to have a thing called the Housing Market Renewal Programme 25 years ago in the borough, and it was serious funding that invested into that community. And I talked to colleagues who were involved in that years ago, and they were saying they were getting traction (laughs) and it takes a while to get traction. And then the funding stopped. And things just sort of slide backwards. So it's a it's a really difficult challenge, this this genuine levelling up of a place. And it'll take a generation and more for things to work through in terms of raising people's aspirations, the pride piece in terms of their Environment so that people take pride in where they live, feel proud of where they live, feel proud of themselves, and 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 have a have a life that is fulfilling, and 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 achieving what they want to achieve.
0: I've always admired Rose, and we've to- talked about that. You've always talked about pride and pride, as you discussed there, you know, in both communities, in terms of being a sense of identity as an individual and as a community. And that kind of installs the desire to look after and to promote a place and also to support the next generation in achieving their aspirations. How do you install pride? What would you say are kind of the three things that you feel are the best ways to develop pride in a place?
1: Um, I think a lot of it is around having conversations about the place, because sometimes people are proud of somewhere, but they haven't really thought of it that way yet so having those conversations about what's special about where you live that that, that's a big one I think as well it's it's about it sounds a bit of a contradiction this but I think part of planning for the future is also looking in the past and I think sort of I, I I know as a I do quite a lot of coaching with people and sometimes it helps people to look forward and plan the next 10 years if they look back at what they've achieved in the last 10 years and I think it's that sort of that gives people that sort of long view of, of what's possible. So I, I do think a lot of it's drawing on some of the really good things about the past and the present and then translating that into the future as well. so that that would be another one. and And I think that the third aspect of this is community engagement and and these overlap quite a lot. but I my feeling is we need a really big, A big project on this, a big task force. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but it feels like we need something really, really big on this to work on all the different moving parts, but it needs to be underpinned by that grassroots community engagement and growing leaders in communities, and maybe not the usual leaders, the usual suspects, but different types of leaders, people who maybe haven't been thought of that way or, or, or thought of themselves that way. Um, so so for me, that's the third bit, is, is really that strong community engagement approach. That is, that is massive. And it's a little bit like what I was saying about the um, housing market renew, renewal programme the funding stopped and and things sort of ebbed away, the only way really I suppose to get that lasting change and sustainability is by working through people and those people grow and change and become stronger and have stronger aspirations on the back of that so that when, you know, the funding eventually dries up or there's an exit strategy, um, people are stronger as a result and
0: able Uh, to move forward. Absolutely, I guess that community engagement piece, I want to go back to a few parts, because we will come back to finish on our next point around the need for a local response. But community engagement is so difficult, isn't it? Particularly if you're then looking at a deprived area, or maybe they've lost confidence in, maybe themselves or maybe within the the organisations that not just locally, but also nationally, uh, when people feel forgotten. you know how, as a leader, and how in Pendle are you engaging with your community? What what advice would you give to those, you know, to those uh, district councils out there who maybe you know don't feel that their community engagement is where it needs to be? How do you get the that 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 gland of communication to work?
1: I, I I think a lot of it goes back to um, ABCD, <laughs> asset based community development. Um, I think it was born in Chicago in Northwest University. Um, and it, it's kind of obvious when you think about it, but it's amazing how often we don't do it. Is actually building on assets, and the only way you can build on assets is knowing what's what's out there, what's there already in the community, and understanding what those strengths are in your, in your community. Who the different groups are, who are the, the the movers, shakers, players, clubs, chit and chat, chit and chat, knit and chat groups, uh, reading groups, various other various other social groups and societies and 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 social things that happen and really from that understanding what there is there that can be built on what you don't want is public sector coming in and trampling all over stuff setting up something new and shiny and then walking away again and guess what happens the new and shiny collapses so it's about building on what's there already i think i think that's a really really important principle um, of, of any kind of community engagement and that's always been my approach before is actually let's see what's there and let's uh-huh. work with who's there um, and, and really understand people and and landscape and, and and those those different those different players that are in your community
0: I think one of the things that I'd love to see more from central government would be an engagement to uh, invest into a national uh, curriculum investment into local government so that I think well, most children don't really have any understanding and that leads into most adults don't understand what councils do, um, what their ambitions are, how they're funded, what their responsibility is. And if they had that, you probably have more people putting the hand up and say, I can help. Because, you know, we it happens time and time again then now, you can't deliver things for people because they can't afford to. So it's about, you know, facilitating collaboration to achieve those outcomes that the community and the council are looking to looking to to achieve and it all comes back to a local response and we've talked about this a lot but you know there is a real move at the moment in terms of the creation of these larger and larger unitary organizations um your opinion rose on that on that that move how do you feel about that
1: yeah it it, there is quite a debate around around unit Trees and, and I suppose I, I was always, historically, I was always a believer, yeah, it's is confusing, isn't it, having two councils. I think what's come clear in the last few years is that you look at the sunny uplands of unit Trees and it doesn't look that sunny. Um, you know, <laughs> if you look at the front page of the local government rags, um, things are not great in that world either. I think I think the UK has got some real funding challenges at the minute, generally. Local government has, I think my view is that local government needs to focus on, I think, what it was born to do. And I think it's about place and it's about planning for the future of a place. I, I think we need one layer of local government, but I actually think it needs to be super districts. I think it needs to be the district services, the universal services, as, as a lot of people call them. I think that's where the future is. And I, I think some of those Upper tier services need to be removed out of the picture. So social care, for example, I think needs to go in with health. I think local government's completely distracted because it's got these big expensive services it provides to quite a small subsection of the community. And what's happening there is looking to the future, the curation of place, creating the conditions, creating the prevention is getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and the focus just isn't there. And, and, and I think that's where local government needs to go. I think it needs to focus on place and have that laser sharp focus on life every day in that place and in the future on jobs, on growth, on creating wonderful places where people will flourish and be healthy, where businesses will provide jobs for people, where we will innovate. And I just don't see how the sector can do that at the minute when it's got the big service issues that are really dominating the conversation amongst the upper tiers and the unitaries.
0: Yeah, I agree. I was at the uh, Localis' event on has uh, public sector finance run out of steam? And uh, Ian Murray from SIPFA, his point essentially was exactly what you just said there. To have an identity in those upper tier authorities where you have responsibility for place shaping and for uh, health and people outcomes is an incompatible identity. Um, you know, when you look at the moment, if every pound that's spent in those upper tier unitary authorities, 65 to 80p is spent on that social care um, cost base. I think a distraction is a very polite way of putting the fact that it basically just absolutely uh, destroys the ability to play shape. And when today we've talked, for example, about the whole point of today's conversation and episode for the DCN is around how we address deprivation, tackle deprivation through regeneration and a clear play shaping strategy it's a really missed opportunity because you know a lot of care not all of it. it is a big generalization here but a lot of it, it tends to be reactive and as you said there is on a small part of the community and if you were starting from scratch if you were to take a blank piece of paper and look at where you put health outcomes you would not put them with local authorities you put them with the healthcare service it's far more uh suited to that and i don't think anybody would would disagree with that who does have responsibility for that because you know, they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. It's just the fact that to to run those services just is incompatible with our current funding model. And again, the victim of that, apart from the communities that suffer who can't have the play shipping strategies, is actually the play shipping strategy and investment itself, because it is so important. Um Rose, this has been an actually fantastic conversation to to have with you today about tackling deprivation through regeneration. So I just want to thank you first for your time, but also for your insight. I think it has been a really useful uh and structured piece of advice for the DCN and um, you know if anybody else is, is out there who has challenges with you know geography and feasibility on developments I, I hope that uh, they can reach out to you as as obviously vice chair of the DCN.
1: Yeah thank you thanks for that Matt and, and I think that's that's where we're at with the DCN We're we're looking very much at how we work with district councils and we all want to be faces friendly faces where they know who to go to. If there's something they, they're wondering about or they need help with something, the idea is that we will all be approachable and that they'll know us and people can come to us. So it's really helpful having this conversation today because it helps us get out there and for people to get to know us a lot better. So so thanks so much for that uh, opportunity, Matt.
0: No, it's it's been fantastic. And I think just that, on that point there that you said there, I I just want to kind of emphasise to listeners at home that the, the DCN and the District Council population it is the largest voice in the UK for local authorities uh, in terms of the the number that exists, and I think it's really important that central government listen to, um, you know, the the views and the opinions and the lived experience of the, the district councils because, arguably, they have the most important role within regeneration of this country, um, and that's how leveling it will be, you know, the, the success of that will be, you know, on not just on the uh, the areas where potentially it was a political move to invest into areas for for winning votes for the election, but actually for serious, you know, uh, multi-generational outcomes of play ship strategies. So, um, Rose, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thank you.
0: If you've enjoyed this episode, please do give it a like, give it a share and tune back in later in the week and in the month for some more interesting episodes. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode brought to you by the Truth About Local Government and the District Council Network. Thank you to the DCN for their support, to our guest speakers that are coming on and to you, the listening at home. Thank you for your ongoing support. If you've enjoyed the episode and the series, please like, share and give that support we need to keep giving free content to the community. And to local authorities across the UK.